know, Gary's one of he's he's your basic roots. He's a real rock and roll bass player. He's, yeah. He, you know, now is he flashy? Is he kicking his legs up and all that crazy stuff? No, he's holding down. He's holding down the bottom and and playing very tasty licks. And uh, I, I can't tell you the amount of licks that I've heard Gary do. And I and I and I not you know I I've taken from his bag of tricks in my own music when mm-hmm. I put bass you know lines together or when I play in cover bands. You know, I do a lot of the stuff that he does because it's what I heard in my earliest sure. years of, of studying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of those guys that just how unsung he is in, in the outside world of bass players. You know, obviously so because nobody remembers those guys because it's you know, that's the way it is in, in in the music world. You know, Sting's only known because he's Sting and he sings exactly. and writes those songs. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is my new friend, all around a, a musician, podcaster, bass player, dad, husband, great storyteller. We have been talking before I hit record, and I'm already in love with this guy. And he lives locally, so we're going to be able to, once this all ends, he and I are going to have to get together and break bread together. But Joey, welcome to the show. Jesse, it's an honor. I mean, it's it's great to meet you. And you're right, we probably did a podcast before you even introduced me at this point. And I'm sorry for rambling on. No, it was great. So um, if you could, tell the audience a little about yourself. Give us your elevator pitch. <laughs> My elevator pitch. Well, I'm a singer-songwriter. I, uh, I, as you said, I work in podcasting. I'm an audio engineer. I'm a editor. I uh, produce other people's podcasts. I used to have my own, but I stopped doing it because I got so busy in my day job. <laughs> and uh, I got a band um, that plays local in the DFW area. Um, I'm in the band called Missing Three. It's a three-piece band. We play classic rock covers. And uh, obviously, we're on hiatus during this pandemic. We can't wait to get back out and play again. And uh, we play all the stuff that we grew up with. And uh, some of it's Springsteen as well. Uh, and that's pretty much it. I mean, you can find my stuff on Spotify, on Apple Music. There, It's on all the digital platforms. And I got plenty of stuff out there. I'm always putting uh, new songs out. And I had a band back in the 90s called the Montgomery Clips. And that mm-hmm. was a three-piece power pop band. That's pretty much enough of a pitch, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. What part of DFW do you live in? I live in Frisco. Ah. I'm in the Frisco area. Nice. I'm in Louisville. How are you doing up there? Well, you know, we're all quarantined. And, uh, I mean, at least my family is. I mean, if you go out to the store to get something to eat and do a little shopping to get some essentials, you will find that life seems to be <laughs> business as usual here in Frisco for the most part. Isn't that a little weird? You know, same thing in Louisville. Like, uh, I've been working at home since the 23rd, like March 23rd. 
and um, so for like 10 days, I didn't leave the house, and um, you know, when I drove to do something, I was like, I'm surprised how many cars were on the road. Um, it, you know, I, I I had to go um, today. I went for a CT scan, um, so I had to, you know, I wore my mask. I went to the Louisville Hospital. Um, you know, yeah. they took my temperature before I walked in. Uh, they made sure I had my own mask, and then uh, you know, we kind of set distance away from each other. Um, but right. I, I did, I was brave enough yesterday. My hair was just driving me bonkers. So I did go get a haircut yesterday. Um, and if you feels, did. I guess, uh, though we have not been brave enough to go out to a restaurant yet. So when you say brave now, uh, us, what do you mean? Uh, you and your, your wife yeah, or yeah, your family? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I was just going to ask you the same thing. So I'm, I've got, I've, I've been married 35 years. So Linda is retired, so she's here at the house. My son is 31. He's working full-time. So the way our house is, he's up front in the computer room where I am tonight, and then I'm in the living area, and then poor Linda's stuck in the bedroom. Like, I can't get out. Like, I'm just going to be in y'all's way. So we've been okay. How about you? Who's all quarantined with you? It's me, my wife, and my son. My my wife is she's a working girl, mm-hmm. um, a working man. We both um, she doesn't work from home, but I do, except for my my band gigs. Now my band gigs, you know, obviously I got to go out around DFW area and play, mm-hmm. which I haven't done since I left for vacation early March. We went on our family vacation. Mm-hmm. We took a chance, even though I was a little hesitant, and mm-hmm. uh, so was my wife, but. We put the money out. We had the hotel. We had the plane tickets and everything. And, you know, we we had the Where'd spring break coming. So we went to Hawaii. We're in Maui. Oh, nice. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of – it wasn't like we were going on a cruise, which we usually do, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we're, we're on cruises every year, which is probably the worst vacation you can take during this, this pandemic. Um, yeah. You know, be stuck on a cruise ship somewhere. But we did. We went to Maui. And while we were there, it was the big subject of every dinner, you know, it was to a point where we had to actually remind each other to stop talking about this and the possibilities of this. Mm-hmm. But that Thursday night, we were there from like, like from the weekend into Thursday. We were going to leave that Saturday or Friday. And Thursday night, I believe, is when the president spoke. Mm-hmm. I think it was Thursday night because all I know is all hell broke loose in Hawaii the night that he gave that at haphazard speech yeah and uh once he'd done that everything everybody's face the whole mood everything changed for everyone mm-hmm. my family the the guest people at the hotel you know prior to that we were at the pool everybody was sitting around doing their thing shaking hands meeting people and, yeah. you know hugging and everything else and um then all hell broke loose and we we wound up getting on a plane and going back mm-hmm and from that moment on, my son never went back to school. He's 11 years old. Okay. He goes to school here in Frisco. And, uh, you know, he, he, he goes to public school. We, we're not like homeschooling type people. You know, and as I yeah. said, I work from home. But that's been for about the past seven years. We haven't mm-hmm. – prior to that, I worked in radio studios and, and production studios. And, um, you know, we, we I ended up getting a gig at home because – I guess they didn't have anywhere for me to go and work. 
Mm-hmm. And so eventually I just said, you know, I'll just work at home and set up a studio. And so I did. And uh, this is the first time my wife is working from home. They won't let her work from home. But uh, this is now, you know, so the three of us have been here since we returned from vacation, uh, March 16, March 13th. And, uh, you know, it's been like that since. So it's been interesting, man. It has been. Um, I know you mentioned you're a singing bass player. So a couple questions. One, uh, what did you think of Gary's two solo albums? And where do you rank Gary in as a bass player? Where do you rank him among the contemporary, modern, you know, classic rock bass players? Well, I, I like his stuff. You know, I, I'm not... I can't say that I've, I've listened to all of their solo stuff. I mean, yeah. Steven's stuff, Gary's stuff, uh, Patty's stuff. Um, actually, Patty actually signed her album for me once. Oh, and, nice. Uh, that, that was an honor. Yeah, that was an honor. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, um, Clarence's stuff as well. Sure. I'm not that familiar with all Gary's stuff, but um, as far as a, as a bass player goes, I mean, he is – He's probably one of the most underrated bass players in the history of rock music, unless you're a Springsteen fan and uh, you're in that circle of, of, of trust where everybody's in that community where we know who Gary is. But, you know, when people are rattling off names of bass players, you're going to hear everything from Sting to Flea to John yeah. Whistle to Paul McCartney, right? Yeah. You're going to even hear Bill Wyman, but you're not going to hear Gary, Gary Talent. And the thing is, is... um. That's why he's such an underrated bass player. I mean, the guy basically is is a rock for the E Street Band. He's a he's a, a melodic bass player when he needs to be. He's a rootsy bass player when he needs to be. He knows how to hold down the bottom. He doesn't get in the way. He doesn't play too many notes. He's a, a great showman. He's fun to watch on stage. He uh, he's he's one of those guys where uh, well, he's one of the he's probably the at this point, I would imagine he's the only, unless, unless you count Bruce Springsteen, he's the, the longest, um, isn't he the longest tenured um, band member in the E Street Band at this point? I, uh, I would say he I is. Certainly, yeah, band. I think so. Yeah, he's one of the original. He is the, he is the original. He's even more original than Stephen. Yeah. Because Stephen wasn't really part of the first deal. Right. Yeah, I he think so. He kind of came on board. Well, do you think um, it's Although because, they were fired. Yeah. Do you think the reason he is unsung is because he's not flashy um he's there's not been any drama i mean i had someone talk the other day um mentioned that it's amazing when you think about uh, and this is not a springsteen fan this was just another friend of mine talking about you think about the e street band have been together all these years and you have had no scandal whatsoever. You do not hear about drug overdoses. You do not hear about trips to rehab. You do not hear stories of prison, I mean, you know, of, 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 you know, scandals. You just have a group of guys and a gal, when you include Susie and uh, Patty, that have just yeah. made beautiful music together for now decades. Yeah, I mean that's a great point. It's it's one of the things. Um, you're right. I mean Gary Gary is one of those guys, like you said. He doesn't make any. There's no waves. There's no noise. I mean, if you if you, it, 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 bass players in general. I mean, I'm a bass player. If I didn't right. sing and play bass, you know, I probably 
to the few people that know who I am, <laughs> mm-hmm. they would even they wouldn't know who I was. Period. If all yeah. I did was play bass, because you know, bass players are are very unsung to begin with. I mean, James Jamerson, the greatest bass player in the history of of, of music. You know, he only came into uh, people's you know into bass players' ears when they when they realized who was this guy playing. And it was only years later that like guys like Paul McCartney. Which is pretty much how it is. People will mention people that influenced him. Sure. In Gary's case, it's like Donald Duck Dunn, you know, Paul McCartney, James Jameson. He likes yeah. all the bass players I like. Yeah. And because of that, you know, and that's you know, it's, it's very it's very interesting because I never really thought about it, Jesse. Like, what makes? I never look at Gary as a person. You know, he's hardly short shrifted. You know what I mean? This is a man who gets to be able to be in one of the greatest American rock bands in the history of of rock music. You know. Yeah. And he's had that gig from day one. I mean, he was one, like I said, he's probably the most original member other than Springsteen. And, and he's still there. So he's got a dream, a dream life when you think about yeah. it. I mean, I, I, you know, it could be a lot worse. So I'm, I'm not sure if there's, if, if, it's, if it's even right to sit here and say, uh, well, maybe he's unsung. I don't know how unsung he is. You know, Springsteen kept him his entire yeah. career. With the exception of what the early '90s when he let the whole band go, yeah, right? exactly, or, yeah, or just experiment. But the thing is, um, no, Gary's one of he's he's your basic roots. He's a real rock and roll bass player. He's, yeah, he, you know, now is he flashy? Is he kicking his legs up and all that crazy stuff? No, he's holding down. He's holding down the bottom and and playing very tasty licks. And uh, I, I can't tell you the amount of licks that I've heard Gary do. And I and I and I not you know I I. I taken from his bag of tricks in my own music when mm-hmm. i put bass you know lines together or when i play in cover bands you know i do a lot of the stuff that he does because it's what i heard in my earliest sure. years of, of studying it mm-hmm. yeah he's one of those guys that just how unsung he is in, in the outside world of bass players you know obviously so because nobody remembers those guys because it's you know, that's the way it is in, in in the music world you know sting's only known because he's sting and he sings exactly. and writes those songs but the thing is um you know a lot of people don't even remember bill wyman played for the rolling stones <laughs> unless you unless you're a rolling stones fan as it's been with the band for like for, i don't know and maybe, and as or, you say though but as mm-hmm. you say other bass players recognize what he brings to the table. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for God's sakes, he, he he's one of those things. You know, he's one of those key players in the band. I mean, if you're a bass player, you know who Gary is. You, yeah. You know him. If you don't, then you you probably haven't really studied much about about rock and roll. Mm-hmm. You know, bass playing, and, and I, I can't. You know, I, I would say that would be uh, that would be you know. First thing you need to do is go to school on the Gary Talent bass lines, especially uh, especially the early stuff, because um, it's just it's it's what rock and roll is made up of. It's his his bass lines are those type of bass lines. You, know, you can hear all the you can hear Duck Dunn in him. You can hear Paul yeah. McCartney and James Jameson in him, and uh, it's just a natural progression. Now uh, I don't know you know I, I don't know if. If Gary feels like I've never spoken to Gary, I don't know if Gary sits there and goes, geez, why, why am I not a household bass player? Name? I don't think he would because I think he's that kind of guy. I, I don't know him, but something makes me say when I when I think of Gary Talent, you know, that he doesn't need that. You know, yeah, I, I, he's had the dream life. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, well said. Uh, you mentioned uh, what bands are you? What band are you in? 
I'm in a couple of bands. I, I do my own music, which mm-hmm. is pretty much solo stuff. Uh, I was in a band years ago called the Montgomery Clips. Mm-hmm. I'm based out of, um, I was from New York. I mean, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I yeah. was living on Long Island. I had a band there. <clears throat> I moved here in 2012, and uh, about a, maybe six months to a year in, me making that move from from the New York, New Jersey area, I found myself bored. I mean, out of my skull. And I was, I looked at my wife and said, you know, I haven't played like cover music in many, many years. I was always doing like the original thing on indie labels and a little bit of touring in the nineties and finally transitioned into radio. Cause I, I really wanted to settle down a little bit and you couldn't really do that in the music business as much as I loved it just wasn't going where I wanted to go. And I got all the albums that I wanted to do out of my system with my band. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I ended up doing a solo thing for a few years. I was in another band called Bleaker street Cowboys. We put out a couple of albums. And then when I was here for about a year, I got, I mean, it was like a guitar center. I was getting a gig as a solo acoustic harmonica guy mm-hmm. at, a, at a bar. And when I was getting a speaker there, I ran into some dude, and he was um, playing guitar in the acoustic guitar section. And he said to me, uh, you know, I started, I asked him about some licks he was playing. And he said, why don't we sit down and, you know, play guitar? He, he kind of got my accent, you know, being, I, I, I mean, I really do stick out around here, especially in 2012. Um, and he, he was curious, you know, what can this guy do? <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I sat down with him and we played, uh, we played Pink Cadillac. We played a Springsteen tune. Yeah. Yeah, you know, just kind of record easy tune to, to kind of play along with. And I told them, you know, I'm not actually a guitar player, although I play. I use it mostly for writing and maybe some solo gigs. But uh, I am a bass player. That's my main instrument. And he said, well, I can always use a bass player when, you know, when my bass player takes off. And so uh, he called me about maybe three weeks later and asked me to learn like 30 or 40 songs. Everything from Stevie Ray Vaughan to Earth, Wind and & Fire and uh, the police and things like that. And we played, um, what was it called? The Glass Cactus at the Texan, the Gaylord. Yeah, sure. And so, yeah, like a big room, you know, like a, yeah. like a cool gig. And, I, and, you know, and I thought, I said to my wife, this would be a great way for me to, like, build my chops up again on the bass. Mm-hmm. And, and I honestly was at a point in my life where I just, like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I just want to play for fun. And if I can make a few extra bucks, it'll go to, like, my kid's college fund. But so- I don't, I'm kind of... No, I just was going to say, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, I, I love that story because uh, my brother-in-law is um, Ralph Carroll. He lives in Tyler, and um, I tell the story often to explain my podcasting. Um, Ralph is about 10 years um, older, seven or eight years older than I am, so um, he's 66, 67 maybe, and uh, so he high school in the 60s and he did the typical you know um they had a they had a band that he played drums for um he tells the story he was the only high school and college kid that had to report his earnings on taxes because their dad made them um and so ralph always loved to play music and he said that if he had his way he would find an old barn somewhere and him and his buddies would come on a Sunday afternoon and would just play. Not necessarily for an audience, just for the joy of playing. And I hear your story, and it reminds me of that, because 
my wife, when I first started podcasting, said, well, what if, why would anyone want to hear you? And I go, I, I don't know if they want to or not, but it's enough joy for me to find interesting people that are Springsteen fans or, you know, like I also talk about Doctor Who and some other, we do TV related at Popsis. But Springsteen it is really about just finding people that from various backgrounds from all over the world and just spending anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour just talking about their lives. And I, if only five people listen, I'm happy because the conversation is what I enjoy. And so I love the idea that you went, okay, this isn't about necessarily the money it's just the chance for me to kind of redevelop you know exercise certain musical muscles and in a way to express joy yeah and share it with people who are you know i'm at an age where the and, and my friend bill who i had met at the guitar center that day we've mm -hmm. become really close friends over the last you know now it's what seven eight years almost yeah. nine years so we become very good friends and um the band by the way is named moving colors it was the name of the band that i was i was filling in for that night yeah but the thing was it was like a seven piece band and it was really a big band and it plays all the festivals and does all these big gigs and some weddings out here mm -hmm. so there is there is money involved in it for him but like i said for me it didn't matter uh, you know for mm -hmm. me it, it's like wow i just kind of stumbled into something just because i felt like I really needed to do this. I needed to get yeah. this out of my system. For my wife, it's kind of cool for me, Jesse, because it's like I'm paying to play. You know, mm -hmm. me getting to go out on a Friday night, Saturday night, come home with a little bit of money and throw it on a table and say, here you go, just go to, you know, our son Roman's college fund or to whatever bill we need to pay. Mm -hmm. You know, I could care less about it. You know, when I get tips, you know, they you know they do big tip tippers out here in Texas. You know, so they're always throwing extra money in in, in like you know in a jar in the front of you, or they're even putting it on a floor. And I always get a kick out of that. You know, because it reminds me of like my days when I was a kid in in New York City and playing like in a subway with my acoustic when you really needed the money. Um, yeah. You know, you're begging people for tips, but here it's like they just throw it there, and that kind of money just sits in my. It's like money that I use to 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 get gas or if my kid asks for McDonald's. So yeah. it really is a secondary thing, although it, it has become part of my income. But the funny thing is, is, um, you know, we just, we just love doing it so much. And the people we play for are like contemporaries of ours. They're like our age. Yes. And really, when you think about it, when you get guys in their fifties and Bill is actually, he's in his early sixties, although you wouldn't know it by, by watching him play. Mm -hmm. When you get guys like that and their friends and family come out, you're kind of like the last of a dying breed sure. out there playing the music that we all grew up with. Yeah. You know? So it's a nice feeling you know, to do that. Why, why did you, what about the bass spoke to you, Joey? Why did you decide you wanted to play the are bass? Are we already on play? Are we, did we start this thing already, Jesse? Are no, we going to no, hit the go talking. button? Or? I, 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 so, okay. so here's, here's what happened is the okay. way my system is the moment I call you, I start recording. So, oh, okay. Um, we're just talking and, um, and if, and what I'll do after the back is I'll piece together an episode and I'll send it to you and I'll go, if you want me to share this, I will. And if not, I just enjoyed talking to you for 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is. And so whether yeah, I was recording, I'm sorry, Jesse, yeah. it's the weirdest thing just happened. I got yeah. an Amber alert while I was talking to you. Oh, do you need to go?
I, I just know I missed everything that you said oh, in okay, the last okay. 20, 30 seconds. Okay, so it, it yeah, cut me off. Yeah, so my um my system is set up so that when I call you from Skype, it automatically starts okay. recording. And so what I'm going to okay. do is um is I was just going to talk to you. I was just going to have a conversation, and then afterwards, if I decide that I could piece together an episode, I would. And then I'm going to send it to you, and you go, yes, I like this, or no, I don't. And if you don't like it, no problem. If you do, great. But whether I was recording or not, my question would be, why the bass? Because, you know, I, I, I just, I think it's, you know, I get the feeling that, right, that people, well, we needed a bass player, so I learned how to play bass. But I, I don't know if that's your case. Interesting. Well, that's that's. That's a very typical answer. I mean, you know, when you take a guy like Paul McCartney in the Beatles, he can play guitar, he can play drums, he can pretty much play anything he puts his mind to. Uh, the bass worked for him because in that case, you know, they, they lost Stu, obviously, and uh, they both play guitars. Well, three of them did, John, Paul, you know, and George. And I think to Paul, it's probably obvious. First of all, it was John's band. Uh, and I think Paul's a real musical guy. He could pretty much pick up anything, as I said. And I think he just moved over and had, you know, enough sense in him to realize we do need a bass player. And I'm going to take it on and do it. Now, I don't know if that's the real story behind the whole thing. But when I was a kid, obviously, I was, uh, you know, the first thing that I found was the guitar. Sure. Uh, I love the guitar. I love playing my guitar. I was in a band with a couple of friends. Another, another uh, one of them was a guitar player. So Joey, uh, drummer. Is, this, is this in yeah. the New York area, right? This is yeah. This is um. Okay. Well, this was in in New York, but I lived in Baltimore for a little while okay. as well. So okay. this, this was actually in Baltimore in a Baltimore garage with with two okay. you know good friends of mine. One's a lifelong best friend. I, I still keep in touch with him. He became a cop and now he's retired. And and his name is Tony. He was the drummer, and I was playing guitar. And I looked over. At, at Jim, who was the other guitar player, who played well. I mean, he was he was a better guitarist than I was. And I remember him saying, we need to get a bass player. And so we, we didn't have any money in our pockets. We were all pretty much like low middle class kids at that. And uh, I certainly was, you know, I had my family had, I think, less money than they did. So I couldn't go out and buy a mm -hmm. bass. I was lucky to have the guitar that I had. So the three of us rented me a bass. Mm -hmm. And uh, we rented a bass from the local music store in Dundalk, um, Maryland. And I used that for about two weeks. And the, for some reason, the moment I picked up the bass, like everybody looked at me like, you're really good at this. You know, like I, I, I picked it up quickly. And it, it's just a, I don't know if it was a knack thing or what, it, maybe it was, I don't know if it was because it was simple. I have no idea. Because <laughs> a lot of people think, hey, you play the bass, it's only four strings. And then, you know, and I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty much a purist when it comes to bass. I'm not like, you know, five strings, six strings for 12 strings. I just give my four string back. I'm good to go. I'll listen to Paul McCartney and the Beatles and I'll copy his stuff. And I'll listen to, you know, Gary in, in, in the E Street Band and I'll copy his stuff. Anything that's rock and roll oriented, I, I picked up. And I think within a month, I remember there's, there's a really great guitar player in Baltimore named uh, Bobby B. His, his full name is Bob Bentleyeski. He's just a phenomenal guitar player. And like one of those guys, like you, you may not have heard of him, but anyone in Baltimore knows who he is. And he's one of those cats that, that I was friends with. And 
And he was always very helpful to me because uh, I never took lessons and I had the money to do that. So he was always like a champion of mine, like my songwriting, because that's really how I got into music because of songwriting. I, I wanted to write a song and then that led to having to learn how to play an instrument. And then that led to, hey, other guys, I got to work with them. And then, hey, why don't we go out and play for the girls or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, for, our, for our friends. And we would do parties and we all were in theater and things like that. So we played cast parties. Well, the bank situation ended up being a thing where Bobby looked at me one day and says, I need a bass player to pick up this bar gig and you're going to be it because you can sing and play bass at the same time. Yeah. And that was another, that was another big deal. Like if you could play bass and you can actually carry a tune for a couple of songs, then they wanted you even more because now we need a bass player and not just that we can give the lead singer a break. And, uh, and before you know it, I mean, I was just, I was just like singing half the night and um, just learning, you know, song after song on bass. And, and for some reason, it really did come come as, a, as like a second nature feeling to me. And, and, and listening to enough, you know, this is way before the days of YouTube. Yeah. And this is way before the days of, uh, you know, I had vinyl to listen to and, 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 um, and cassette tapes. And I remember taking vinyl and marking it with a crayon and just, you know, repeating parts and sections and you couldn't really slow it down. Cause if you slow it down, you would lose the pitch because when you slow down anything analog, the pitch lowers with it. So you kind of get confused. So I remember just repeating over and over parts on the record and, and then we got to cassettes and then finally, you know, I had enough money where I could buy a four track and that helped me, you know, learn how to, uh, you know, get into engineering and make my own demos and, and I use that tool to really um, to to like kind of dig into to bass parts, you know, because back then you, you couldn't, you know, it is what you know, basically if you listen to a record, everything was mixed together. You exactly. Didn't have like, you know, today, yeah, today, you know, kids can go on today and, you, you know, isolate Paul McCartney's, um, you know, bass part in Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. And you can pretty much, you know, you, there's 300,000 kids out there that'll teach you the, the exact part. There's uh, uh, you know, which I always... yeah. There's there's yeah. a theory that um, Penn Gillette talks about on his podcast about magic, is that the internet has made people better, not necessarily because you can watch them do it and you can watch a video showing you how to do it. It's the video shows that it's possible to do. And therefore, you're more confident when you start doing that magic trick because, well, they did it. I should be able to do it. And I think you can make the same argument, right, for, for music, that you're sitting there going, okay, there's no way I'm listening to this 45. How do I do that? But now then that you can watch this and see, like, oh, okay, I could do that and kind of you pick it up a little quicker. Um at least Absolutely. that's what I, I – do you think that's a fair theory? Yeah, except for when it comes to, like, doing plumbing. I tried to watch YouTube videos <laughs> and do plumbing, and then I got to call plumbers after that because I destroyed half of my house. Oh, absolutely. So you do have to have somewhat of a, a – I don't like to say – people call it talent. I don't really look at it as talent as much as I do, like, some type of aptitude. Um, uh, equal, aptitude plus passion, you know – 
equals what seems to be talent. You know, because like, if you have the, the, the aptitude, to, if you have the knack, the coordination to do, like, you know, to play bass and sing at the same time, and or if you can, if you, you have a knack that your ear, uh, you know, you can pick up notes and you, you have a decent ear or, or it's trainable enough, like, you, you know, like you can carry a tune and you have passion, like any dancer, if they can coordinate their body then do a few moves and watch somebody and be able to copy them, if that's an aptitude, if you have that, and then the passion with it, you can just build upon that to the point where you can, you know, you become a monster, you become a great player. Um, and that, you know, that most of that is drive and passion. I mean, if you've got a little bit of aptitude to handle it uh, enough to keep you going with incentive enough to keep, you know, going down that road, you could become great. You know, I love the YouTube situation. I love the fact that I'm seeing kids being able to pick up guitars and, and play circles around me. You know, I don't know how much, I don't know how far that's going to get them as far as what music did for me when I was a kid. If they're getting something out of it and it's making them, if it's therapeutic for them, if it's keeping them out of trouble, that's fantastic. I mean, as far as the, the model of what what I was going through as a kid, you know, it was a it was a plan. I mean, it was you. You learn how to play, you wrote your songs, you put them together with a band, you paid for demos, you went to the studio, you went out, you did live gigs, you tried to sell the little final 45s, and you sent them to record companies, and you hoped that somebody was going to hear it and think it was worth enough to uh, to do some kind of deal with you, whether it be a development deal or, or to sign you to a contract. Um, in some cases, I have friends who had that happen, you know, on a major level, on a major level. And I had it and I've seen it happen on indie levels, you know, and, and me, I was one of those, those guys. And, but, you know, you work your butt off like for, for like a decade or so until, you know, you can make that happen. Uh, today I'm seeing it happen. It seems like it happens fast. I'm not sure. And I can't, I'm not going to be one of those old guys that says, well, it's not very lasting because, because nothing is really lasting. It's very few, even in, in the seventies and the eighties and the sixties, you know, not everybody was, you know, lasting throughout the decades. And you can you can count on your on your hand the amount of people who, who you know, withstood the, the decades or the test of time. Um, you know, being Springsteen, being you know, at the pinnacle of it in his genre. You know, I mean, he's one of those yeah. guys that, you know, he's been doing. He's he's learned how to go with it, and his fans. He has a built-in enough audience. They they go along with them on the journey. We're all this, we're all this, you know, and then we turn our kids onto it and we turn our grandkids onto it and everybody, it just, it's like a ride. You, you know, it's not, I'm not sure if Bruce Springsteen's getting new fans. I don't know if that's the case, you know, only, you know, uh, I guess a guy who does stats or people who, you know, can look into that. But I know that he has a, a loyal following from those years, just like the Stones, just like Paul McCartney, like, you know, the Beatles. Yeah. And a handful of others. You know, Joey. So, uh, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. No, I just letting you know, I had a guy that was on the show coming up, you know, in this timey-wimey thing, right? I record things in advance. But he's um, like in college and he's talking about how much he loves Bruce. And, you know, he was uh, saying that, you know, I just don't want you to – I want you to remember, Jesse, that there's a whole new generation of us that are finding his music and that are passionate about it. So, um, and which I, I love. I think that's great. 
Um, so I, I do think, and you know, you're right. There have been there have been people that have found Bruce like in the early '70s that have been with him the whole time. Then there's the people that found him, you know, in the '80s, you know, and then and he continues to get new listeners. Uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law went with me and my wife to see Western Stars. Um, and they loved that movie. Yeah. And I didn't see it yet. Yeah. They, they loved it. And, um, they went out and bought the CD and they were not Bruce fans, but they, um, you know, Clayton loves Lynn Campbell and that kind of music. And he said, I'm going to go buy the CD. I love the CD. Um, I don't know if they'll go back and catch some of Bruce's early catalog or not, but, um, I think it's amazing. At 70, he's still trying to put out different kind of music and and stretching those creative muscles. And that's a great album. I love yeah, the album. Oh, yeah. Just a great album. Yeah, it's a great album. I, I, you know what it is? It's like, like I said, because I'm in a different, you know, all of my friends already know Bruce Springsteen. All, you yeah. know, my kid my kid gets to hear him, you know. So, so my kid... You know, he hears it now. I don't know if one. He's only eleven now, so I don't know if it's ever going to hit him right. like like Bruce Springsteen hit me and at my adolescence. But you know, he's exposed to it just like he's exposed to Michael Jackson and Earth, Wind, and Fire and Prince mm-hmm. um, because you know his parents listen to it. But the thing is, uh, you know, I don't know any young people for me to you know to say that. I would imagine that you know people would would stumble across Bruce Springsteen and. and I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, his music and his songs stand the test of time. And it, I know those songs are, you know, those are the great, that's the future great American songbook in my head. You know, when we look back decades from now, we might not be around to do that. But I think people are going to look back and realize, you know, wow, this, this guy was, uh, he was the Woody Guthrie of his, of his generation and, and more. In my opinion, I, I think that is a that's a really good description. I think, um, and very apt. Um, you mentioned your son. How about you? Did were your parents musical? Did you uh, grow up in a really musical household? My mom and my mom and dad they they were um they were married for about maybe four or five years. So um, by the time I was three years old, it was just me, my mom, and my my younger sister. My father, my earliest memories of of, of music is my father playing the acoustic guitar and singing Johnny Cash songs in the kitchen. So for me, that's like the earliest memory of music. My mother gave me the memory of music through her record collection, which was all Motown, Supremes, um, believe it or not, Tom Jones. I mean, it was the era. Uh, you know, all that type of a, you know, that early 60s and mid 60s rock and roll. And I remember my father taking me to see Yellow Submarine in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. So I saw the Beatles on screen. It was cartoon. At the very end of the movie, you get a live shot of the Beatles. I think they sing, um, I think they sing all together now at the very end of the movie and it's the real Beatles. And it was the first time I saw the Beatles. Cause you know, I, I was too, I was born in 64. So I didn't catch, you know, I didn't like Springsteen and those guys that age. 
you know, and, and, and Steven and all those guys, you know, and Nils, they got to see, they got to see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I, I saw the Beatles, you know, in the theater during that movie, Yellow Submarine. And I don't know what year it was. It probably was the late sixties. Um, it could have even been a second run for all I know. It might've been as, as, as late as 1970, but I do remember that. And, and, you know, you put Johnny Cash in a kid's head along with, the Supremes and, and, you know, uh, Smokey Robinson and then the Beatles. I mean, that's the making of a, of a, you know, the great American songbook right there of, of the, oh, yeah. of the 1960s. You know, I mean, you got it right there. I mean, it's everything. And Elvis, you know, my mother was an Elvis fan. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, two parents that had great musical taste. You know, I was very fortunate. The record collection alone that I grew up with, you know, was everything from Gladys Knight and the Pips to Neil Diamond uh, to Buddy Holly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's, that's pretty much how my, my beginning, you know, my, and that's what happened. I started writing songs, you know, the melodies would stick in my head and then melodies would come out of my head in different, in different you know, arrangements, I guess, from the influence. So, Joey, I have a real good friend named Tom Zoller. Um, he is an artist. He's written um, a fairly successful um, graphic novels, comic books called Love and Capes, um, some other series. But when I talk to Tom, all he's ever wanted to do from the moment he could pick up a crayon is to draw. Art has been his passion his whole life. I talked to a guy the other day that did not start writing songs till like in college um which one were you because it sounds like very early you had that inner voice that you said i i need to share this yeah i remember being a kid at 11 or 12 years old laying in bed at night in my brooklyn bedroom with the F train going by every 15 minutes, which is an L elevator train that makes a lot of noise on McDonald Avenue. In fact, it shakes the whole apartment. You might've seen a, a scene of this in the Chicago um, oriented movie, Blues Brothers, where they're sitting in there. Sure, this, absolutely. They're in there, yeah. And you see it, it shakes the whole place. And I remember thinking to myself, I got to write a song, you know, whatever, whatever the girl's name was at school that I liked at the time. It just was a continuous, it just, that's pretty much the story of my life. I got to write a song so I can sing it to her. And, uh, and then she'll like me and she'll like me more than she'll like whoever my friend was at the time. And then I remember being 13 years old and, uh, and even though I had a guitar, an acoustic guitar around the house, um, which was, the house was basically a two room apartment. I, it had maybe one or two strings on it, so I would just kind of ear out, you know, songs like kids did in that generation, Smoke on the Water, Days and Confused. <laughs> and uh, I remember, you know, the back of comic books, because I'm a big comic book reader from back in the day as well. I collected all the early Dolby Gill- Gillis comics and the Spider-Man comics and, and all that type of stuff, and Superman. And uh, I remember in the back of the comic, there was this thing, like, you know, if send us your lyrics and you know if we like what you had we'll, we'll give you a record contract and we'll we'll make it into a song and i thought well this this is it this is my shot 
you know, I'm a kid, so I, I, I asked my mother, who has no money, by the way. She's literally on welfare. We're buying bread and milk with food stamps. Ma, this is a big chance for us to get out of this. I got this song. It was called, I think it was called Meant to Be. And I wrote it for some girl that I had a you know, crush on. And, uh, and it was meant to be. as every cliche you can get out of, out of a, you know, into a song. And she said, all right. So she, she's, I don't know how she came up with the 50 or 60 bucks it took to do this. A lot of money, actually. Maybe she asked her mom, you know, because my grandparents helped raise me along with her. And I sent it out. And I waited. And I waited. Can we hope they're going to like And the next thing you know, in the con, in the mail comes a contract, a contract saying, "We're going to sign you." You know, it, it, it's the, it was the funniest and biggest scam that you can play on someone because basically, you know, as long as you got the money, they're going to give you the song. They're going to make a song. This, is, right. this was a deal. This is the way they did this. This is the big thing, and, and I'm sure a lot of guys my age know about this. Although I never spoke about it, it's, it's, I don't. I never told the story like in public because it's you know, it's, it was a a humiliating experience because we put the money out. They gave us back the record. They sent back a record of my song. And, you know, we had a record player. My mom said, let's hear the song. Let's hear the song, you know? And so I played a song and I did everything in me. Like I, I I wanted to love it so much because it was, it's my lyrics. It's my song. This was my deal. And, uh, and she, and I could see in her eyes, she was like, I can't believe I just spent this money. Oh, and no. it was so bad. Jesse, it was such a bad rendition. It was a melody that they probably used for every kid that sent in his lyrics. There was nothing special about it whatsoever. And I looked at her after that. You know, I was so embarrassed. I felt so bad that she spent the money. It just wasn't good. Like the song that I was able to sing out of my head, and I'm not much of a singer. I've worked hard to sing. Like if people like my singing in any kind of fashion, it's because I really worked my my ass off to sure. get that together. Because you know I, I'm more of a I'm very musical and I'm very uh, melodic and I'm creative and I can write and all that. But you know I'm not going to put myself in a Burt Bacharach um, singing or Jimmy Webb singing. I think I might be able to to get away with it a little you know more than they they could in their career. Yeah. As songwriters, but you know, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a vocalist, you know. And I sure. Said, but the thing is, um, the thing is, I looked at her and said, "That's it. I will learn how to play this guitar. I will sing this song myself, and I will make. I will put the music that belongs to the melody I know that this song should be." And uh, and there was no looking back, man. From that moment, and from that moment on, you know, anyone I met. And I started playing with, it was always a priority of we're going to do our own songs. And it's always been that way. I don't know. I got maybe 10 or 11 albums behind me at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few solo albums, a few with the band that I had put together back on Long Island. And a few with the um, band from my friends in Baltimore. Uh, and, you know, it's all, it's all out there. Everything's out there yeah. on Spotify. Because these days you can just, you know... But in the 90s, um, it was when things were starting to come together with it. And, and that's, that, you know, because we, we had put the Montgomery Cliffs together and we had a little indie deal going and we were out there and there was promise and the, the old model of, of, of you know, of, of write good songs, record a good, you know, demo or an album and go on tour and, and you know, get a manager and 
really pound the pavement and eventually something will come if you have a good act. But somewhere around that 1997 era, you know, between Napster and between the internet, you know, becoming something, you know, of a thing, it's like all of a sudden the model started to change. It wasn't as easy to get signed. And if you sounded like anybody else, you really, you really were going to have a hard time getting signed because let's face it, you know, if it, there's only so many green days you need in the world. There's only so many, you know, sure. Bruce Springsteen's, you know? Uh, so, um, but you know, and now today, as I was saying before, about the YouTube generation, you know, people get signed from YouTube. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's that girl, uh, yeah, Billy, what, what Billy, um, is it Billy Eilish? She, yeah, she had a so. SoundCloud yeah. song yeah, and I, and I, and I love her voice. I, I'm like, this girl's got a great voice and I love what her brother does with her. And I, I look at them and go, wow, that's fantastic. It's great to see that. I think she put a song on SoundCloud and, and maybe it caught fire or went viral or whatever happened. So it, it does happen these days. You know, you can still do it. It's just the model has changed. You know, it's, yeah. it's not like the old days, like Springsteen, you know, where he, he's out there playing, you know, the Asbury Park scene and he goes into the city and he, you know, he does some solo gigs and, you know, he, he meets you know, the right guy and, uh, you know, he gets signed to Columbia records. He gets to go back to Jersey and get his boys. They're going to make a record, you know, um, and then next thing you know, you know, you're doing 10 albums over the course of a decade. I mean, although he, you know, he went through a lot of loss situations between yeah. his old manager. And, but the thing is, is that, you know, he got, you know, I mean, you know who signed him. Yeah. The right. The, the famous uh, guy, you know, that also did Dylan, right? John Hammond. I was, I was the famous John Hammond. I mean, yes. for God's sakes, the Franklin, Billy yeah. Holland. I can go down a list of people about Dylan. But anyway, all right. I, I'm sorry. You you mentioned seeing the Beatles on film the first time. Do you remember when you first were aware of Bruce, and have you seen him perform live? And, and I'm, you know what, Jesse? It's funny. I don't do a lot of podcasts or do stuff like this, and the reason why I don't do it. The thing about podcasting and the new generation online is that back in the day, you can kind of fabricate a story and nobody would know the difference if you were telling the truth. I mean, well, ask Brian Williams from MSNBC. He knows all about it. Yeah. The thing is, is, the thing is that these days, you know, my memory isn't what it used to be, although it's pretty good. But the funny thing is, is that I'm always, I'm always looking back now and going, did it really happen that way? And, and sure. Isn't it easy just to look it up and see? You know, so when I listen, and I've listened to your podcast, I, I love it. And, Thank you. That's uh, you know, very nice of you to say. And, no, yeah, I love Well, that's how I, I think I found you online that way. I probably friended you before you friended me on, on Twitter. Um, you know, because I was listening to some guy's podcast, then they had you on as a guest. Maybe it was mm-hmm. classic albums guys or something, yeah. you know. And, and yeah, and then I, I said, well, let me listen to your podcast. And I heard some guests on that podcast. And I'm thinking, this is cool. Now, I don't listen every, every uh, you know, I don't have time or the, sure. um, the, you know, the bandwidth or however they say it these days to listen to everything I'd like to listen to, but enough to know that you have a great podcast. But when I'm listening, sometimes I'm saying to myself, no, it didn't happen that That yeah, wasn't exactly. the date. Or, or that was, and it drives you nuts because this day and age, we're like that. But, we uh, are. You know, yes, not to, I agree. Yeah. Not to, not to go completely off course, no, but no, no. when That's you ask me a question, good like, point. Yeah. you know, do you remember? 
What's that? No, no, I think that's a good point. I think I agree. I'm just agreeing with you. But when you say, but when you say, like, what do you remember, and how did you become a, you know, the funny thing about it, Springsteen, you know, for me, as, as Springsteen was everything from back in 1975 or 76, um, whatever year Manford Man's Blinded by the Light came out, whatever year The Point of Sisters Fire came out, these songs were in my record collection before I knew who Bruce Springsteen was. These songs were just great songs in my head. I had a 45 collection, and those two songs were two of my songs in my collection. It wasn't until later that I put together who this guy was and how it all worked out. Because Tonight, Patti Smith. So there's three songs right now that, that you know, I never even heard Springsteen sing. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I had a that's a good point. Right? And and I had a friend, his name was Dominic, down the street. Now, he wasn't like a friend, but he was acquaintance. He was a couple of years older than me, so I was probably more friends with his brother. But he had a Bruce Springsteen shirt in the 70s. And I just looked at the shirt. It was like a, probably a concert shirt. And I'm not even sure what year it was from or what. Maybe it was an Asbury Park shirt for all I know. But I looked at it and I, and I would go like, who's that? You know, it's an interesting looking guy. And uh, I remember hearing like whatever local radio station, whether it be WNEW in New York or, or one of those, either or an AM station or an FM PLJ or something, you would hear like concerts being broadcasted on occasion, maybe on a holiday or something. And I remember hearing the whole, the whole, um, you know, listening to it and hearing blinded by the light. And it wasn't the blinded by the light. I remembered it was like, you know, it was a different guy doing it. And it was this whole in the middle of the song. Hey mom, you know, that's where the fun is. You know, where he says that whole, he does that monologue in the middle of Blinded by the Light. I don't know if you recall that. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it, it kind of like, I'm like, now who's that? And where's that coming from? Because that's definitely not the, the little keyboard, synthy sounding Manfred Mann, you know, you know, top 40 record or whatever it went to. You know, and I, I started to explore, man. I started to look into it. And then I had some friends who were going to uh, the garden to this no nukes concert thing. And they were older than me. I couldn't go. And um, I guess I was 13 or 14. And um, and all they can talk about when they came out of that whole situation for the next week was, you know, was like the, the encores, you know, getting mm-hmm. to see um, James Taylor and Carly Simon, getting to see uh, uh, Bruce Springsteen. And how he tore the the, the room off, and he blew the roof off the off the garden, and and I'm thinking, wow, you know. And then I guess it wasn't until it came on VH, you know, VHS, that I was able to see, like, what the, hell? oh my God, this guy's, you know, this guy's it. And um, I guess it was probably '78, you know, that 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 he put out. Um, uh, what do you put on? Darkness on the Edge of Town and probably 78. I probably picked up that album not long after that, that, that whole concert experience. So maybe 80. So there I was probably around 15, 16, around the time John Lennon passed away. Not passed away. He got executed, for God's sakes. What am I talking about? When John Lennon got killed, that was about the time I remember like really finding Bruce Springsteen in a way that even though I had heard of him before, even though I had his songs on other people's, you know, 
covers of it was the time when, when I really was like the, the darkness album killed me. I mean, I listened to that, the promise, promise land, um, Badlands, prove it all night. Um, you know, that whole thing just like floored me and it, and it spoke to me and, um, you know, and hearing all that, the, the, the roots of it, the, uh, the bass lines, the, um, the guitar, the saxophone, the, the guitar and saxophone soloing one after the next, it, it just spoke to me and the lyrics just, just, you know, they, they were like lyrics that a teenager who was going through a lot of turmoil, you know, something that, you know, he could hang on every word to get him through. Um, you know, Mr. Ryan, a boy, no, I'm a man. Uh, all that, all that stuff started hitting me hard, you know, we'll prove it all night. You know, um, I can go down a list of lyrics. I won't do that, but, but I know that, um, I know that at that moment, something hit me that wasn't quite like the Beatles hit me as much as I love the Beatles. And it's probably, you know, if you're going to rattle off the, my all time favorite band and songwriters, you know, I would put Lennon and McCartney there with the Beatles, you know, but, right. but the Springsteen was more than that for me because it was like a salvation for me. It was a moment where I found a connection with a person that I didn't even think about. I wanted to be him at that moment, you know, like a lot of mm-hmm. guys did at that, that time. It was more like, you know, this is going to get me through. This is going to, I didn't realize it was going to get me through the next four or five years of my life till I became like a young man. You know, it wasn't, I would say that, um, by 1981, when he put out the River album, because that was the next album after that, if I recall, right? He did Darkness, and then we went to um, then. Then it was like a few year wait for the River. See, because during the during that that No Nukes era, like '80, I was able to get Darkness, and I was able to go back. I was able to go back to Born to Run. I was able to go back to the. Um, uh, the Wild, the Innocent, East Street Shuffle, right? And yeah. then I was able to go back to Greetings. So I went back to Greetings all the way on 18th, you know, basically I went on 18th Avenue, there's a record store. I was able to go there and get some of these records. And then I moved to Baltimore. And when I was in Baltimore, that's when The River came out. And when The River came out, I was already well-versed in Springsteen, you know, because I already was, you know, I was already, you know, it's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win. You know, I was already there. So yeah. at that point when, um, when the river came out, that was when I, I, I remember saying, I need to see, I need to see him. Um, because this is just, that was the double album. And that thing just like, you know, just the lyrics is a dream alive when it don't come true. Or is it something worse that killed me? And, sure. uh, you know, and, and at that moment, I remember it's probably August of 81. I don't remember the exact date because if you, if you go back to August of 81, you'll know that he played Landover, the, um, the, um, the capital, what was it called in Landover, the Landover, whatever it was called there, that it was a Coliseum or as a Capitol Center, maybe was it called the Capitol Center? Maybe it was the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland, August 1981, whatever dates those were. 
was the um, was the, the the concert that I saw Bruce Springsteen when I was 16 years old. I wasn't quite 17 yet, and and, a, and I, here's where that whole me getting dates wrong or yeah. or even what was happening in front of my eyes. I remember my mom and me. Again, my mom came to the rescue as she did with my first guitar, with the four-track recorder, with the records early on, and um, and back then you had to wait online for tickets. Mm-hmm. But it took nine or ten hours to get those tickets. Right. And that was 1981, Jesse. I mean, he when when it was announced that he was coming, it was in the local newspaper. Like legendary performer Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band are coming to the Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. And uh, it, it was like I looked at her and said, "We got to go." Now I don't know. She, those tickets might not have been any more than nine bucks for all I know, or eight bucks. But she and I traded spots off waiting for those tickets like i went there and stent, stood there for five or six hours and then she came by picked me up and she waited the remaining time and got the tickets for me and my cousin who um he had just gotten a car and was able to drive us and it was just me and him that went to um maybe it was august 5th or 6th or 4th it was around the early part of august of 81 and i remember going in there and uh we had the worst seats you could ever get, Jesse. <laughs> I mean, we were, Jesse, we were behind the stage. Right. It, 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 luckily, it wasn't obstructive viewing, but it was behind the stage. Like, basically, we looked, we saw, you know, we were watching basically the, the, the rear ends of the entire band. And, and if, you know, in 81, I mean, I guess Springsteen, he probably was like a, Maybe 29, 30, 31, probably around that time. These guys were in their prime, prime. Yeah. Um, it was Stevie. It was Bruce. There was no Nils. Nils, Nils was a local hero at that time in, in that area, as far as I remember. Um, I'm not sure if he I, – I know he doesn't come from that area. Right. But his grin and sure as hell came around and played the area. So he wasn't even, uh, you know, wasn't even in the plan. Um, and obviously there was nobody and it was just the old band. It was the band that everybody, you know, knew in the seventies and they came out and, um, I'm not sure what they started with. I forget what song they started with, but I just, I do remember the second song because the second song was my favorite song off the river album. And that was out out on the streets, you know, out on the street, out in the street was, was the, was the, um, that was to me an anthem when I heard that. Cause that sure. was like, that was just a great song to me. And, and you know, as a 16 year old boy in 81, that song was just a hit record to me. Although hungry heart was the hit record at the time um, that was being played on the radio. And, uh, and I remember, and, and it was cool. Cause it was like, I got a wife and kid in Baltimore. And, you know, like, it's like, this is, this is, he's, this guy's singing to me here. Yeah. And we're, here's the beauty of it. Now, this is this is probably easy to track down, so I'm not going to say it, you know, uh, and say this is for real. But I swear to God, he could have played four. I think he played four hours, Jesse. Now, it if that's felt like it, not, whether I, it was you know, or not, right? I don't care if anyone thinks it was for real or not. I know he played for four hours. Yeah, there was not just there wasn't an ounce of liquid left in his body to pour out. There wasn't any left in mine. All I remember, and he was. He was so gracious. He would turn around. And every time he turned around to see those guys in the back, which was where my section was, mm-hmm. 
it just made us all go like, yeah, you see, he, he gets it. Even though we didn't use the term, he gets it back then. Yeah. He turned around. He made sure that he, he honored that we bought tickets, that we were there. And Clarence did, and they all did. They all turned around. They did their little walk around, and, and they, they, they made sure they, that we, we were getting a show as well. And, um, and for the most part, it was always you know his back to us. But yeah. he made sure that was going to – but it didn't matter, Desi, because it was, um, it was a revelation. I know many people have used that um, description of his concert, seeing his concert for the first time. But as a 16-year-old boy, you know, it was more than I ever got at a Catholic church. It, um, there is a lot of people who say that, right? The power and the magic of – the majesty of Springsteen's view. Yeah. I, I can see that. I can see that. I, I feel that. Um, I often say on the podcast that there's two kinds of people. The people that go to their first show that go, wow, that was long. And the second one says, oh, my goodness, I want to go see this man anytime I can. Um, that's, that's a great story. Okay, um, we're going to wrap it up. But before we go, I've got to ask you the Mary question. Uh, I know you've listened to the podcast, but just in case, uh, this is someone's first podcast. Um, Jay Armstrong, who is an honors English teacher from the Philadelphia area, always – takes a couple of days and in his seniors they break down thunder road as a poem they go through the lyrics they look at the different imagery that the lyrics do you know what is the story and um they compare this to robert frost the road not taken and uh at the end of the two days um jay looks at his class and he asks the question does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road so, Joey, that's your question. Does Mary get in the car? Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Mary gets in the car. Okay. Do you want me to elaborate? Yes, <laughs> you, 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 yeah, you yes. To... please. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's her hope. They're each other's hope. I mean, that's that's what it is. I mean, it's, Mary's got the narrator of that story, who is, we'll say, for lack of a better a better knowledge, is Bruce Springsteen. Right. And uh, and Bruce Springsteen has Mary. Mm -hmm. You know, he's he's not only doing it for himself. He's going to rescue. He's going to rescue Mary as well. Yeah. It's not it's not some type of self indulgent type of uh, journey he's about to go on here. He's going to share it. Um, he's taken, he's taken the girl. He's got, he's, he gets the girl. Very nice. Well said. Um, Joey, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Well, there's, um, joeysalvia.com, which is, uh, has all the, uh, albums and the things that I do and, uh, production that I do and all the, the podcasts that I work on and some history there. And it's easy to get to me there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I mean, again, if you just go to joeysavia.com, you can, you can, it all branches out from there, like, like Twitter and Bandcamp and Spotify and, and all the stuff that, that, that we do these days to keep ourselves <laughs> less isolated. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We were, like, isn't it funny? Cause social media is, it's, it's, it's very not social media, is it? It's not social at all. No. And in fact, it's, 
it's prepared us for what we're all going through. And not it to go on, really did, you know, didn't it? It really did. And, uh, and that hurts. And, and I'm also thankful for it. It's like the double-edged sword, sort of like the internet. There's parts of it that I, I love that we have the internet. I love that we have YouTube. But as I was saying earlier, you know, it's also part of the destruction of what the music business is. But at the same time, I get to put music out with no one telling me not to. So it, it's got its ups and downs on, on, on all sides, man. And it's a real pleasure, Jesse, talking to you. And I'm really um, glad that you kind of put, not, not that you pushed me into this because you didn't, but I'm glad that you, you you didn't give up the first time or the second time that I said, yeah, I don't know if I can offer you anything. Well, this was really fun to be able to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I'm a firm believer that um, every Springsteen fan has a story. And my job, my mission is to get as many of them on tape as possible. So I, I appreciate this. I mean that what I said um, when this is over – I hope that we have a chance to meet over coffee or drinks and just to meet in person. Um, I am so glad you've took some time to visit with me and share. I hope you and your bride and son all stay safe uh, during this Thank very you. scary times. Um, we, I, I appreciate you. Family, Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. You. All right. So, listeners, we wish the same thing for you. Please take care of yourself. Please stay safe. And uh, we will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one the only said listening bruce said listening bruce is part of the southgate media podcast group the theme for set listening bruce was written by david rosen used by permission it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.